Hey, it's Alexis Haynes, and this is my podcast, Recovering from Reality. I feel like this episode is kind of like my come full circle episode well, right now. Eight years sober today. That's eight crazy. Eight years sober today. Where were you eight years and one day ago in county jail? No. So what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I was in rehab. Were you? Yeah, and then oh, I got loaded. In rehab? Yeah, I got oh loaded on God. whippets. Whippets. Oh Fucking God. whippets. Whippets, man. It was like, how can I get loaded and pass a drug test? Whippets. 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 Somas and whippets. God damn it. Um, you know what? But it brought me to my knees. It brought me to my goddamn knees. Who it caught was, you? Who caught you? Nobody. It no? was an emotional bottom where I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm getting loaded in rehab, about to go to prison for six years over this shit. That's what, <laughs> it, it was like that. <laughs> the, yeah. Maybe the reality of going to prison for whippets. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Yeah. Um. I just realized nobody knows who I'm talking to. <laughs> I think they do. I think they do. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so today I'm sitting down with a dear friend of mine, Bob Forrest. And Bob is not only the co-creator of Celebrity Rehab, an amazing mus- a musician and awesome sober guy with nearly 23 years sober. It's yep. coming up next week. Next week. Um, and incredible interventionist and an all-around stand-up guy. But he's also been one of the most influential people in my recovery. And um, I'm going to share one story right now real quick as just like an intro because I feel like this not only helped me, but changed the entire dynamic of my family. And I've told the test story a number of times about how I wanted to intervene and you said no, and that kind of catapulted her into recovery. But this is a different story. This was back when I was a couple of years sober and I was writing for Vice Magazine mm-hmm. and I intervie- I had done an interview with you about parenting. Right. And you gave me some cold, hard truths about my mom (laughs) and about our dynamic and our relationship. And it forever changed our relationship in an amazing way. And she was open to it, too. In an amazing way. And here's what happened. So Bob goes, well, you need to write about your mom. You need to write about... Um, you know, your dynamic and he, he brought all of these things to light about, you know, the whole momager thing and how codependent we were and how toxic it was and all of that. And so I wrote this article and uh, my mom lost it pretty much because she was trying to save face 24 seven to try to save face and was not really willing at that time to get honest about the fact that she had not one, but two heroin addict daughters, Mm -hmm. and then a third daughter who was completely deprived of all of the attention that she needed because she was so focused on that, and then in a broken marriage and all of this stuff. Well, I was going to say, and and some of the not the greatest boyfriends Yeah, not the greatest boyfriends (laughs) or husbands in the world. And it's hard to be forced to look at yourself when you kind of see yourself as an outside helping entity yes right yeah and but it had to happen yes and so what happened was not only did it force me to look into reparenting myself which I think is something that I'm really passionate about talking about but it had me look at the way that I want to parent my children and it changed the entire dynamic for the rest of my family because my mom started to get better after that 
And then it kind of catapulted everybody else into like figuring out their own shit (laughs) and like getting their lives together somewhat. Well, the only, all advice or suggestions that are given come from elders, I always Mm -hmm. think. So Dr. Drew helped me understand that. I went through that with my mother. And, and he told me some harsh realities, which were kind of the opposite. I was always so hard on my mom and criticized my mom and, and didn't want people to trust her or like her or whatever. Mm. And Drew and she and I went out to dinner one time and he said, your mom's great. (laughs) And I was like, she's conning you. you don't see it. You You don't see it. (laughs) And in the inversion, his dad was a real hardcore taskmaster. Nothing was ever good enough. Mm. Um, And so, but he saw his dad differently as a grandparent. His dad was so attentive to his triplets Mm. and so there for them. Spend, and he used to say this, he, sometimes he'll spend all day with them. And I would be like, that's awesome. And he goes, he spends more time in one day with my children than he did with me in a month. Yes. And and that's where Drew came to realize that parent, you know, grandparenting is a second chance. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, your mom's trying to do that. It definitely, it took a couple of years. Yeah. The first couple of years, my pregnancy with Harper with her was brutal, was just brutal, man. Oh my gosh. And then, yeah, it was like around um, Harper's third birthday. She's about to turn six that something right. kind of switched. And now it's sweet. She'll call me and go, Hey, can I take Dakota to dance class on Saturday? Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, yes. Yes, right. you can, you know, and, and it's amazing. So I think you, know, you were caught up in a whole cultural, societal thing of parents as best friends. I think mm-hmm. that's ending mm-hmm. now. But I hope you so. Know, and I always saw you as somebody who's been forced to become enlightened by the courts. Yeah. <laughs> and you can share what I know Dina and Lindsay are not going to share or Brittany and her dad or all these enmeshed families are not going to share. You could, because those are the celebrity families. There's thousands and tens of thousands of non-celebrity families that are I mean, our whole generation. Yeah. It's literally our whole generation. Parents as best friends. I had done it a little bit with my older son, but I'm, you know, it it never was what you guys, what yeah. your generation of parents, and just zero were. boundaries. I remember one time you said, "Well, to sometimes me, you can't even tell who's the daughter, who's the mom." Yeah, you kind of all look alike. No, absolutely, <laughs> no, absolutely. It's so true. But I remember one time you said something. to I think me the moms was, like it that way. They do, of course. <laughs> I mean, they well, do. there's another thing that's weird. You young girls try to look older. Older. And then the moms yes. are like in their you mid You look at Kylie Jenner, you go, are you 32 or are you 19? I can't tell. Yeah, yeah. I can't tell. Your boobs are so big, but you look like you're 12. Like it's, I, I know, I can't get it. And I, my friend actually owns a salon um, and she does a lot of the Instagram models and stuff like that. And uh, there's like 17 year olds whose moms get them like lip injections now. And I'm going, Jesus, no, stop it. But, um, you know, I think that one of the best things that you ever um, said to me was, you know, my mom was such a free spirit and she was so open and she was really, there was no boundaries there. And one of the things you said, which was so profound was kids shouldn't know when you have financial struggles or when you're on the brink of divorce or, you know, all of the drama. I mean, as a parent, it's your responsibility to step up to the plate. And when those things happen, 
to do your very best and to navigate them without stressing your kids out to the max. And right. that was not my reality. I knew about every single, every single woe that she mm. experienced. Um, every boyfriend she broke up with, every, yeah, there was like no boundaries it's whatsoever. It's not to put her on the spot. There are tens of thousands of moms that did that to mm -hmm. the, the millennial generation. Yeah. And I think some of them still don't see any harm in it. Yeah. Right? I see tremendous harm because life does have slings and arrows and you have to turn to somebody mm -hmm. that's going to be level-headed and and that you respect enough to guide you through yeah. those times. And if your if your parent isn't that person, who who then do you have availability? It becomes to? your peers. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's the heroin the addict. <laughs> and that's and and there's the heroin addict. It's like it Didn't goes your hand in hand. Like your mom? Um, yeah. They they, like they did. I mean, yeah, I I I spent a lot of time away from home. I mean, you know, by the time I was 16, 17, I mean, I remember being 17 and partying at Kid Rock's house in Malibu and just, she had no idea where we were. You know, it was it's just... not that far away. <laughs> it's not that far away. No big deal. It's not like Istanbul no, no. or wherever you went. I mean, no, where we went to Paris. Go? Where did Paris. you go? Paris. Yeah, almost got kidnapped. And kidnapped by yeah, somebody yeah. from Istanbul, yeah, it right? Was, it, was a, it was a shit show. Yes, it was. It was absolutely... And there was no boundaries and all of that. So... You know, I just want to thank you for that. And, um, you know, I think that while, yes, we talk a lot about addiction. Um, because a symptom of all this. Exactly. And and Bob is a co-founder at Allo, um, which is my husband's treatment center with along with Jared and, and Bob. And they've kind of created this amazing space for people to come and get recovered. And I think that... Um, not tied to any dogma. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's so cool and so unique. And um, and it's really your approach. Like, I think Evan and Jared... You, you, when we first met and we're hanging out and first doing Aloe, it was called Acadia, mm -hmm. you were staunch or you were, you were more hardcore, staunch AA type person. Yeah, And yes. you were questioning a lot of the things I was yes. suggesting. No, and you know what? <laughs> it's true. It's true and... Um, and you came from a brainwashed system. I did. And, you know, I will say though that the 12 steps like saved my ass. Yeah, like my sponsor great, was like, you're not getting on some boxing. You're Every not. Every time yes. I say anything yeah. to be, to suggest open-mindedness, I'm accused of attacking the 12 no, steps. No, I know. And <laughs> I don't even go to AA meetings anymore. It's been yeah. three years. I mean, I think that um, AA was really important in the beginning. And well, then. Was there a way to separate AA from the rehab you were in, it was just no, professional. No, I just went AA, to it was right? a lot of AA. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I've always thought. Like you could just, I even thought it at Hazelden the first time I went. I was like, most of this is just AA. So and, what am I really doing here? And let's remind people of how many times you went to rehab. <laughs> 24 times. <laughs> and it's probably because <laughs> nine out of ten of those were AA uh, yeah, in a rehab. Well. The, the, there was one. I was just driving past the other day. On Tuesday, I went and visited my friend for lunch, and I was driving past this thing. Now it's a Ramada Inn on the corner of Pico and, and Beverly Drive. Mm -hmm. And it used to be a hospital. It used to be a rehab. And yeah. it was called the Beverly Hills Recovery Center. And I was in there, and the staff would joke, putting the elite back on their feet. Oh because Because people got tired of going to Palm Springs yeah. and Minnesota. So they started this real elite, 
rehab in Beverly Hills, and I was in there two or three times. And um, the thing that was unique about that is they really did delve more into trauma and what aloe now does. Yeah. That was in probably 1990 I was in there. Wow. So people were exploring. And that's where the, the doctor who owned that place also was the first one to use buprenorphine. Mm -hmm. That's where I got it the first time, mm -hmm. which is nowadays Suboxone. Suboxone. And... Um, and so there were free thinkers and people starting to question things as early as 1990. But everybody's always too scared to step out. And Al was yeah. the first place that said, listen, we're not doing it because it's to exploit for finances like some Malibu rehabs. This is really what we believe. Mm -hmm. We have different paths, even amongst the ownership. Yeah. Even am and particularly am amongst the staff, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea was, how can you have a treatment center where some people are AA all the way, some people are psychotherapy all the way, some people are in the middle, and everyone feel comfortable about expressing themselves? Yeah. And that's what we created. And your husband, yeah. being the nicest guy in the world, made and made it a lot smoother than I would have. Yeah, I think that. Um... <laughs> Do you say he's the nicest guy in the world? Yes, he's I too do. nice. He's... Can we say he's too nice? <laughs> You're not married to him. <laughs> <laughs> I always say he'd be the perfect politician. He's very diplomatic. Right. You know, he's easy to get along with. He's a leader. That's that's kind of his well, thing. He's, is, is he he's sees, what I was looking for. He cares about all the people. That's the thing. You know, I've had other rehabs that failed. I know. Until I met your husband, I failed every time. Yeah. He's the one that makes it my craziness make sense and... It's yeah. just a magical combo. It is. And you know what? And it's because of his deep appreciation and reverence for you and 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 your care for people. Sometimes like, I think he's my little brother, but he's pretty old to be he, my little brother. He's old. He looks a lot <laughs> younger than yes, he is. He he does. <laughs> um, and, you know, great genetics. But so you've got, you came from all this dysfunction. You're mm -hmm. trying to make this function you still mm -hmm. get all these personalities and all this you know everybody's kind of got their strengths and weaknesses mm -hmm. how are you doing in the middle of it all right yeah i mean because i don't know that we can raise good kids in our culture no matter how hard it's we try freaking hard it's and especially hard. in the age of technology because it's like well, I don't want to take it away completely because I don't want my kid to go to high school or middle school and be behind all of the other kids. You know, like I look, yeah. I look at the, I'm like, you know, so I, back when we were in school, we didn't have iPads in every class. And so I'm touring kindergartners, uh, kindergartens yeah. for my daughter. And they're going, we use iPads for this and iPads for that. And they have computers technologies in the classrooms for this. too. And the computers are in the classrooms where like we used to go to computer lab like once a week to learn typing. Like now it's like a whole thing. And by the time that they're in high school, it's like all on their iPads and stuff. It's like crazy. And so in this like. I'm fearful of the good, bad, black, white world we're living in. So there's a gray area. Seen, yeah. Everything is gray. A gray but, yeah. So if you've seen this morning, Sid is obsessed with Michael Jackson. That's my two and a half year old. Mm -hmm. Obsessed. Simultaneous to this. HBO has released a documentary yeah. about him being a pedophile. Yeah. So 
she's so cute singing the Michael Jackson. She's got the Michael Jackson hat, the Michael Jackson mm -hmm. jacket. And so I posted some stuff and all these people, all this vitriol towards me, yeah. like, how dare you? Which, and, and it has to nothing the point to do with this you. Morning, somebody <laughs> wished that my child be molested. What kind of world oh, do we no. live in? No, I'm no, posting no. a cool video of her singing want to be yeah. starting something yeah to, i what kind of world do we live in you know it's okay so so we can things. do the best job in the world yes. we still got this world out there that thinks we're fucking up 24 <laughs> 7 um you know i have a lot of feelings but as someone who was sexually abused from four to seven i i it's hard i mean do you want I, people to stop listening to his music because a lot of people no, do. I, you know what? It's a personal choice. And I respect everybody's personal choice. But did choice. people only recognize that he's a pedophile last week when mm, the documentary aired? I've maybe. known since the 80s <laughs> that yes, he was. Yes, he was a pedophile. <laughs> yes, which is true. Are we going to get mean, sued calling I think, <laughs> I think that with any movement... Okay, so here, if we go back to the feminist movement, right? right. So, like, feminism is very basic. It's that we want equal rights, right. period. But then there's extreme feminists who are man-haters, and that is an absolutely very, that's a very real area of extreme feminism, just like there's an extreme left and there's an extreme right, and I think that it's dangerous. I always think of it like, I think of my sobriety and in, in whole as like a yin and a yang, like there's black and then there's white, and I just try to be that dot in the middle, like right. to kind of, so while, um, I probably won't be blasting Michael Jackson around my house. Like I can respect, <laughs> I can respect that. your parenting choice. And it's just like, there's no. I'm hoping it's a phase she grows out of. I just don't try to deny things based on, on, you know, it seems innocent to me. Yeah. Um, she doesn't know anything. And it is. But She's what about fun. an She's adult two. who sees a video on Instagram yeah. and is compelled That's to send a message yeah. to that person that they hope my child yeah. is molested? Yeah. That yeah. world. It's extreme. So that's a world we're, we're trying to deal with. So I just yeah. try to do the best I can. But sometimes I'm just... I'm just on the floor with how sick our society yeah. has become. And the person I turn to for encouragement is your husband. Yeah. Because he's always looking on the bright side. Which is, <laughs> um, which is funny because we actually, we never fight, Evan and I. We rarely ever, ever fight. And we got in a fight last week. And it was that I was coming to him too much with my, like. Worries. Yes, so it's kind of hard when. Um, so in the last couple of months, we've had our business burn down. Maybe I was down. coming to him too <laughs> much too. <Maybe laughs> Everybody just... <laughs> goes to Evan because he is this like kind of zen. Like if you, I kind of think of him as like the Buddha, like he's just like nothing shakes him. Right. But it really does, and I see that in him when he's home. And I remember just a few months ago after the business burned down and every all we were working on a deal and all this right, stuff was right. crumbling and. He said to me, sometimes I just want to cry. And I said, Aww. well, then cry, buddy. Like, cry. He's cried maybe once in our relationship. It was for two seconds when our second daughter was born. That's it. We've been married for seven years. Right. So it's very, um, uh, you know, I, I was coming to him for too much, and, and, it, and it was a lot. But I think in this world that is um, so easily black and white, um, trying to be that gray space and acknowledging that that gray space is there. And 
I think that um, technology is an amazing thing because it's it's led to these movements of Me Too and Time's Up and ending the sexual violence and 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 creating outrage in the Catholic Church and all of these things that are happening are it movements because of sure. social media. But there absolutely needs to be acknowledgement that there is another end of the spectrum that is very dark and very dangerous. And actually, I just did a podcast earlier about the same exact thing with the whole body well, shaming what and, have you, and all of that. So, so you're someone I I know gets criticized mm-hmm. on social For media. For everything almost. <laughs> right. And, and you've obviously become pretty good at dealing with it. You seem unswayed. You might um, be personally swayed alone by yourself. Yeah. But publicly, you're mm-hmm. pretty strong at dealing with it. You know what's coming your way. This yeah. thing this morning, I was just blown away. I just didn't want to live in a world that a person yeah. like this, that existed. And I feel that. And I feel like as empathic people that addicts are like, so I'm just going to be honest. I've been in a depression punk, funk for the last two weeks. My chest feels like it's swelling. I could have a panic attack at any second. I go through that very real stuff. That is the human experience. And so it's like when we get into recovery, right, we're, we go from numbing everything and wanting to shut off everything and those very extreme no's, I'm shutting out this world, this is crazy, I don't want to be a part right. of it, and two, I've got to feel everything, everything, and that is so hard. And so I definitely have moments, I mean, uh when people, you know, make fun of my children specifically, those things shut me down. Absolutely. And and while I don't respond and I don't engage because I don't feel there are a few times that I have engaged and then I'm like, okay, so I just had a ton of adrenaline dump into my body and now I feel like shit for the rest of the day. Why did right. I do that? <laughs> right. I think this is a thing that a lot of people are yeah. going through. But I'm more interested in how do we get away from where we're going? So it seems like we're headed somewhere. Yeah. I don't think it's a good place where we're no. headed. I think all of us kind of agree that's not a good place where no. we're going. How do we change course? I think multi-generationally, like we come from two different generations, mm-hmm. we have to find common ground as to how can we steer this in a more in a better, more positive way. And I think dealing with these internet trolls and these mean-spirited people is, is, is an issue that has to be dealt with. I, yeah. I really do. But and the, going the, back at them just gives them power. I went yeah, back at exactly. the woman this morning and I haven't even looked. I've wanted to look no, all day to see what she said. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do you do it? No, I don't. I don't. I, I, um, I called the internet so an imaginary argument with imaginary people, people about an, in an imaginary exactly, world. Exactly. So, so <laughs> the whole. It's so real. So the whole. But it, and it is to an extent. But the thing. So I got into it. Recently, I had surgery, and this woman went after me. You shouldn't be taking pain pills. How could you take pain pills? You're not sober anymore. Blah 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 blah. Oh Which is, God. it's like I just had major surgery. She's like, when my husband got his wisdom teeth pulled, he didn't take pain pills. I'm like, I was just sliced Good from hip him. to hip. This, and I'm thinking to myself, this Good poor guy. Him. This poor guy thinks he has got to be a champion, <laughs> a champion of all drug addicts. You know, in order to, and it it was just absurd, but that, and and I just stopped. I just said, okay, I have to stop. And I stopped looking and I deleted the message and I moved on. It is so, it is so hard. I think the, the biggest way to combat this is, is 
connection and the connection. I feel like everything comes down to the connection that we have with our kids. Much more people rally to your defense against that person. I noticed that this morning. People mm. were attacking that per- a person, mm-hmm. right? Why couldn't I just leave it be then? Okay, the, the people who support me are chiming in. I don't need okay. to chime in. But because. I just love that imaginary people in an imaginary world talking about imaginary <laughs> but things. You Such a great line. <laughs> it is. But don't, we get something out of it, right? Our I brains get it. I, you felt when good. When I yes. that little blue thing yes. to go up. Yes. And that is so real. Like that high. And they're getting it too. Yeah, they're right? getting it. They're getting it too. So we've become, we're so, we're so lacking connection with each other that when we get the dopamine rushes. rush from, from being assholes on the internet. <laughs> now I'm going to look it's, at it. <laughs> oh my God. Now he's going to look at it. You know, but it's said. like, there it is. There's the video. Yes, exactly. So it's like, so they're getting that, they're getting that, um, that need met through the internet. They wanted you to respond. So they get that, that rush of adrenaline. So they get that dopamine and then it turns into, you know, so, oh my God! I it's like I can't go down. You can't. Like, you can't. It's a rabbit hole. There's like 54 comments now. Yeah, I'm gonna read them all when I get in the car. <laughs> and it's probably like 51 of them going, "F you, chill out. She's just too whatever." <laughs> Having like a reasonable approach to things. I look to you for advice in this new world. <sighs> I mean, but I don't have it. I'm just doing the best I but can. But you're so emotionally resilient. I watched you be resilient through oh. that whole thing. And then it being drug up again four years later with the movie, I saw you be... But I wasn't. I mean, So were you collapsing at I home? I was. I mean, when Harper was 18 months old, I asked, I called Evan from work and asked him to 5150 me. Like, it was... I was having 10 panic attacks a day. I mean, from all that stuff? Just the... Str- I feel like um, when you become a parent, so much of your childhood is right in your face. Right. And so it's like a combination of that and a lack of support and all of the stress of all of that. It, yeah, it came bubbling to the surface. Isn't there a million things that go on in a day where something happens with the kids that you realize never happened for you and your parents? And I just think I'm doing it right. Yeah. Elvis came up to me the last weekend and just cuddled with me on the couch and said, I love you so much, Daddy. Oh, my God. I don't ever feeling. I don't ever remember feeling that close yeah. to my parents yes. to tell them that. Yes, the other I'm night. I'm sure I never said that to my parents. Yes, I and remember. And so we're doing something right. Yes, we are. And I and just a few nights ago, Harper was talking about bullies at school, and we worked through that. And I, you know, it's it's hard in this world to build up kind and 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 loving kids who have enough resilience to make it through. You know, yeah. it's it's so it's like this teetering thing that's so hard because you want them to be strong and resilient but you want them to maintain loving and kind and in touch with their emotions and that's why i really love like buddhist thought because it's all about that right about just learning to face suffering and challenges and to move through them but as a peaceful warrior instead of you know like a harsh judgmental person that's shut off in the world and i think that that's attributed to our parenting but yeah harper grabbed my face and she said you're the best mama i ever could imagine and then kissed me and i was there you go i was like oh thank you thank you so much so yeah i mean i think that um i love Brene brown and she talks a lot about parenting and she says like there's no such thing as a perfect parent and as long as you're striving to do the best you can like i mean really trying you're doing an amazing job 
you're doing an amazing job. That that's good. But enough. I think our parents would have thought that. <laughs> yeah, if but I mean, like, if you're being parents, honest, though, are they doing a great yeah. job? They would say, "Fuck yes, we are." Yeah, Is the martini in their hand, the cigarette. Yeah, but you know, but it, it, it's challenging because we're in this world of like mommy wars too. You know, where it's like I've you didn't that. breastfeed, you had a C-section. You, I, I mean, everything is. You're right. It's so black and white, and it's like, how do we live in this gray area? And, you know, and you just gravitate towards the gray people. So something mm-hmm. came up the other day with the molestation is the subject du jour because in my circle of friends because mm-hmm. of the Michael Jackson documentary. Mm-hmm. Right? So um, the idea is I realize I know molestation exists. I was molested. Everyone I know no. was molested. Yeah. It's usually by a family member, a close family friend, a trusted mm-hmm. coach, somebody. Mine was a neighborhood kid who was older. Um, so, so what I've done is be attuned to only really associate with parents that can talk like about that mm-hmm. in an open way, yeah. right? And. Because I think a lot of times people are just not having their kids be involved with other families because of, of fear of, of my my fear is Elvis is going to go spend the night at somebody's house and act inappropriately, yeah. right? And so then he's going to be labeled the bad kid when mm-hmm. he's just an eight year old boy, mm-hmm. right? Because I think in America we don't recognize that children become sexual or 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 interested. Early. In things early. early. We want to think it's when they're 15. No, no in, kindergarten. in kindergarten. I'm looking at my um, friend Mackenzie right here. Yeah, We've yeah. got kids together. My daughter's married to her son already. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, they're married. Second grade? She came, f- kindergarten. Kindergarten? Yeah, she came home and she goes, my last name is Smith now. I'm going to marry Braxton. I mean, it, it became a whole thing. I found out they've, they've kissed. I was like, whoa, what is going on? It's like, it's so fast. It is... It, and and it's natural and it's normal and it, and as parents it's like a really messy thing to to navigate and I worry a lot so I was molested by several kids at sleepovers I don't we we right. will not be having sleepovers in this We've house only had it, it freaks two. me out we have it with an old friend of mine mm-hmm. and and we even had talks about how that is if Elvis yeah. acts inappropriately you know what to do you're the parent and we mm-hmm. we told I told him you know. Yeah. When you go over there, they're your parents. They're the ones in charge. Because mm-hmm. Elvis is really smart. He'll say, I don't have to listen to you. Yes. You're not my You're dad. You're not my dad. Yeah. You have to clarify. Yeah. No, he is yeah. the authority that's going to call you on your stuff. So, yeah. And we have kids over to our house, but mostly that, only that guy's son, who's yeah. Elvis's best friend. and He lives in New York, so it's very hard. He's yeah. out here for a two-week bit. period of time. Yeah. And then... You know, but you have to pay attention. Yeah. Even with Elvis and Sydney, I pay attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Because and I don't that's think a very all real dynamic. No, <laughs> no, my mom was smoking pot, making beads in the garage with her girlfriends. And beads. I mean, yeah, beads, the uh, jewelry, you know, making, yeah. making little. Why in the garage? Things. Why not in the garage? Because room? that's where she could smoke pot oh, without right. the She's nanny knowing. She's a good knowing. parent. She doesn't without, smoke pot in the, the house. Nanny I knowing. forgot. She did when we were like 12, and then we did it together. Um, so, you know, it, I it, hope she doesn't listen to this right then. You hope she you, doesn't no, listen to this. Are you kidding? Because the <laughs> thing is we laugh about this now. It's so amazing because the dynamic has changed so much to where she can fully just acknowledge. Like I was a fucking horrible parent. 
Like I was a horrendous parent to you guys. Like she I don't know if she was that bad. No, but she. I mean, but she tends to go extreme. She did it when we did that group. She. Mm-hmm. She now. I mean, there went, was like a she, lot. In the time I've known her, that dinner we had that yeah. you you're talking about, yes. and afterwards I talked to you about it, from from six, five years ago, mm-hmm. I think it was, to when we did the groups at Aloe. Her thing of I did nothing wrong. I was a perfect parent too. I was the worst parent in the world. I mean, I think that there was a <laughs> lot. There was a lot. There was a the lot middle. of like over There was just, I mean, like with with us, you know, there was like a lot of stuff sec- over sexualization well, in the dressing and and the dressing allowing and the- all of that on camera and nude photos and encouraging Playboy and letting us roam free. That and was her I world, mean, though. I, I will defend it her. was. It was her world, and that's what she she was used to. She didn't have enough support to say, "Hey, I don't know if this is a good idea." That's another thing that when we just keep having divorce after divorce after divorce, and there's no consistency and continuity in life because we're all seeking our own personal happiness Mm -hmm. and satisfaction, of which I've been guilty of. um, We're missing the point of who who is going to help steward you if you have an adversarial relationship with the other parent through a divorce. Who is it that's going to say, hey, I don't know if Alexis getting all dressed up when she's 12 is a good idea. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> nobody, absolutely. Nobody was telling her that. She was getting well, no feedback. No, she was. She had a husband at the time, but, uh, you know, that they got together when I was 11 and he, they were together until I was 20. And they fought over uh, it? I, yeah, I think that he was, he tried. I think he tried. You're yeah. smiling though. People I, at home can't see you uh, smiling. What does trying mean? I he, think he did his best. My mom is a really hard person. Like when she's set in her ways, she's set in her ways. And I love you, mom. I'm just, I fully <laughs> acknowledge. No, but I fully acknowledge her life experiences and how we got here. And I forgive her for all of those um, situations. And like we've had so much healing. Um, but so at what age do you think you were... Um, and acting like an adult 12 earlier 11 i remember we have photos of tess and i in my mom's lingerie walking the catwalk in our house dancing to Atlanta. but i mean was it just dressing (laughs) up it wasn't Um, the exploitation that would come a couple years later i mean i just think that comments like beauty is pain girls and you know and and wearing makeup and all of i just think that the there was the lines were all really blurry like i just feel like they were really blurry right and i think that as somebody who was so severely sexually abused too i was an oversexualized i was an oversexual child because that's how I, I, got- I, I you know account that's what i thought love was right. was those relationships and it led me to being in a lot of bad positions where I was molested by, you know, babysitters and older kids and um, kids at camp and whatever. And I just kind of let it happen. And do you think that she recognized it or she was just blind to it? I don't think she recognized it. So just blind to it. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, when you hear about the, but when I say we were a free range kind of hippie family, I mean, I remember Tess, Tess's mom and my mom were in the garage smoking pot and we were running around naked in the backyard, peeing on sprinklers and stamping each other's bodies naked. And there was just very, and that we were like five or six, like there was just very little, like it was kind of like, you know, hippie free. Did you go to school? Um, until about eighth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Until about eighth grade. And then, 
Um, we tried. Was ninth there other? Where were you in Topanga? Where were you? That sounds like a Topanga Canyon thing. No, it wasn't. My mom um, was kind of like the Topanga mom of of uh, Agora Hills. Agora Hills. Yeah. So I know about Agora Hills. <laughs> yes. So horrible the, heroin. There's epidemic. a lot of cul-de-sacs, and at the end of the cul-de-sacs, there's little trails, trails. that go up into yeah. where you can smoke pot. Mm-hmm. And yep, and have we used to go and, and yeah, yeah, off-road yeah. with our friends' trucks and. Right. Yeah, I remember being 14 in the back of a boy's car, drinking warm beers, driving up through those mountains. And I remember coming home at like 15 or 14 on shrooms, like just so high. Like, and my mom was just like, just go to your room. You know, I've and got so my the friends idea, here. <laughs> and this is a traditional idea in Los Angeles is yeah. get them away from the bad areas, Hollywood, no, it's Beverly everywhere. Hills, and get them out in these more rural environments. And you can let them run around and roam around and it's free yeah. and go on your bikes. And that's where more trouble is happening. And I'll tell you why. And You I, can't let your kid roam free in no. Hollywood. <laughs> no, and you can't in Agora Hills either. And I feel like but what happened was when this whole thing started where both parents have to work and they're over stress and they work full time and there's no parent at home. Right. We were talking about this where do kids turn? They turn to other kids. They turn to other kids as their um, sounding board as their uh, attachment relationships instead of their parents. And it's really sad because it's like the parents are in the situation that they have to be in. But and there, you know there's like no other solution really, right? Right. What and about, there's workaholism what about teachers? and all of Was that. Was there no teachers that you liked? Um, so there was one in third grade that was like a savior for me. And, and he actually going back and doing EMDR, which is like a very specific form of trauma therapy. Right. He, I recognized that, that he saved me in third grade. Like I was already collapsing. And then in fourth grade, I had a horrendous teacher that just ruined everything for me. And I was never a good student again after that. Um, so no. And I, and, and look at our teachers, they're overworked, underpaid, so stressed out. I mean, I'm not going to say what's going on in our community out here, but like they're, they're not as, um, attentive. And I mean, I'm sure there's some of them that are, but it's like, it's not, it's not the teacher's job as a society. We need to look at parenting and, and the, the value of having a stay-at-home parent and why in the United States we don't have paid maternity leave and why parents have to work two jobs in order to survive and why we can't get basic. We need to look at the whole spectrum if we're going to fix the issue of the collapse and ultimately demise of of the health and wellness of the human population. Or of the family. So that's a big subject that Drew and I talk about on this live podcast. So the family disintegration is what has led to the disintegration of all this. Now, conservative people go, it's the goddamn hippies and their free love and divorce and all this. That's why it is. And then we say, no, it's no maternity leave and not equal rights for Mm -hmm. women and not the ability to control your own body and all this kind of stuff. And maybe it's all of it. It's all of it. Maybe it's all of it so that we can stop arguing and start solving. Yeah. Right? No, because it but is liberals all of it. won't admit that it's divorce. Yeah. I'm the first liberal I know. Divorce is horrible for children. And how many it's times have you been divorced? For children, <laughs> three times. Yes. And he's been divorced three times. But at least you know but it. I, but and if you, you know talked to me ten years ago, I wouldn't say that. They just need to be loved. All the yeah. typical liberal bullshit. Bullshit about divorce. Which I'm very no, liberal, divorce but yes. is is frightening yes. for children. Yeah. Right. 
even if you're co-parenting. And I think that the way that you and Sam, I know you're um, yeah. last ex-wife and you know i've been around since elvis my last ex-wife i like to talk about (laughs) 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 i didn't have children with the other two no he didn't he didn't so so with sam and i've seen i've known elvis since i don't know he's like one whatever like he's tiny um so you know even in co-parenting and i think it's amazing and i don't think you're like damaging elvis or anything but it is a shift and it is a traumatic event period right and we have to acknowledge that like even if you're gonna what was the one Gwyneth Paltrow used? Come on. Oh, we're going to... Uh, 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 uncoupling. Uh, uncoupling. <laughs> we're uncoupling. All you right. know, you can wrap it up in whatever bow you want, but at the end of the day, breaking up the family system and moving houses here and there and looking at all of your other friends who have families together, um, you know, and healthy parents and blah, 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 is, it's hard. It's, it's hard. Really Even hard. if you get an amazing stepmom or stepdad who you love so much, the bottom line is it's difficult because it's not the norm i think the rules create adversarial roles Mm -hmm. and and that can't help and so i tried not to do that and we haven't done that and he goes back and forth with each house fluidly yeah but the the idea of the anxiety of what is love and all that kind of stuff he's already asking those questions Mm. right elijah my older son 32 how old are you 20 about 28 <laughs> oh, i have a son older, older than, than you mm-hmm. so so he when he was like 25 mm-hmm. comes to me because he was having troubles and he's now figured it out but he was having a rough go in life and we we're at lunch or dinner or something and he asked me dad were you in love with mom when i was conceived wow and i was like oh my god what kind of question is that what is your thought behind that because he was feeling unloved yeah. and he was feeling this existential not unlovability. And he was now, because we're all going to try to make sense. Was it because I was conceived not in love that I don't feel loved? Mm. And, I, and we had deep conversations about this. And love is something that I think we all misunderstand what it is. It's unconditional and permanent. Yes. And... So anything you had that stopped and started wasn't love. Stop calling it that. Yeah. But we don't like the other words. We've demonized lust and passion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Nobody dare have sex only based on lust. It has to be based on love. That's yeah. something that came up about 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, the, the idea that you could have a passionate affair with somebody that wasn't in love or love, that's now thought to be aim- immoral. Mm-hmm. right so if we want all this morality we're going to live with the consequences of it yeah which right? is a lot of divorce love is love is something very precious and very specific yeah and i, t- I tend to think we overuse that word too much mm-hmm. right to describe mm-hmm. many versions of romantic relationships yeah because we're embarrassed by the other words we don't yeah. want to think you know and as a media and society like I mean, that whole industry just like profits so much off off the idea of like, this is what a relationship. I mean, I remember being a little girl and watching Legally Blonde and just being, you know, watching that relationship that she had with that boy that was clearly 
just lust for him <laughs> right and and this is so true on like the bachelor now i'm like you're not in fucking love with each other you think you're hot and you want to get to fantasy suites so you can bone like that's the reality of it Why right lust it's like, so frowned upon i don't know because it's just because that's part of the evolution to love the right. lust is the beginning it can sometimes of evolve into that. the love. So, um, you know, it's it's really an inter- interesting um, dynamic that we have, like, as a culture and in society and But and I've, all of I've that. been alive this whole time. I've watched us evolve and devolve. De- 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 mm-hmm. It's so strange how we got here into a, a, a kind of a divided... Men and women, I think, are more divided now than ever before. Yeah. The races are more divided than ever before. Economic backgrounds are feel divided more than ever before. Feel they are. I mean, yeah, if we're being was, honest, there's well, no the middle class. Honesty that I'll say is um, that you can be born in the worst of circumstances in America for the last eighty years, and you can rise to the top. I don't think that's possible anymore. Yeah, I no. think that's a lie that Americans tell themselves. I don't mm-hmm. think it's possible anymore. And usually, especially if you're a person of color, usually new statistics are showing yeah. you usually live and die in the class you were born in the last 30, 40 mm-hmm. years. But we both were born and raised yeah. here. So I was upper middle yeah. class. I'm going to die upper middle class. Um, I have friends that were born into poverty that are elite <clears throat> class. Yeah. Right. I don't think there's going to be more generations of that. Yeah. And that's sad unless you invent an app. Yeah. Right. Or, an, yeah. Or a, it's like a one in a million shot. <laughs> what if they invent yeah. something that can go back at your detractor, yeah. your attacker? You can't just go to college and get a good degree. And then, you know, because if you, even if you become a doctor, it's like you're going to be working for 15 years just to pay off your student loans right. from becoming a doctor if you were born in the lower class. You know, you know, it's just, it's, it's the whole dichotomy is just so twisted. And, and, and that's what you're talking about is why both parents have to work, especially in Southern California, have to mm-hmm. work just to have a roof over your head. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. very, it's no longer yeah. a, a the luxury of being a stay-at-home parent it's it's a necessity just to survive here that both parents kind of work and and that is eroding our children and eroding our relationships it's going to take me two and a half hours to get home so if you leave it before your children get up and you get home exhausted at seven o'clock at night when are you being a parent (laughs) yeah no and 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 you're too exhausted uh, yeah you're so exhausted and it's so hard and that and the small things that you can do because i always like to leave people with a little bit of hope is um is to spend 30 or 45 minutes off your phone on the ground playing with your kids right as often as you can but you got to choose um, how you can do that yeah. that's why you know what i was doing all morning till i came here i was outside sid was jumping in the mud yeah. we had the dog out and we were just sitting outside in this beautiful paradise mountain yeah. community but then I had an hour and a half drive to then come you have here. An, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But you you take the good with the yeah, bad. That's what I always say. See, too many of your generation want all good, and they get all bad yeah. mostly, and, and then, then they they're disillusioned. Deal. They can't deal with it. And so then they you get drug some addicts. good and you get some bad, and it's all based on yeah. what you what's what's important yes. to you. I mean, and then that's a whole discussion about resilience and all of that. And I would love to have you back on to like talk about all that because I think it's so important and about why my generation is just so not even able to be like, you know, emotionally resilient and just thinks that 
you know, we live in this world now where we just think everything has to be perfect and everything has to be great. And we have to always keep up with the Joneses in that way online and in all of that. I have a joke because, you know, a lot of the people that we work with and a lot of my wife's a millennial, my ex-wife's a millennial, my son's a millennial. Mm-hmm. I deal with millennials all day long. And one of the things that's interesting is the, the idea that if something doesn't go your way, learn from it and make it go your way next time. Don't let it destroy you. Yeah. Don't let it frustrate you and become become callous or or resentful about it. Mm-hmm. And that all things are supposed to be just and equal. They're not there's no justice and nothing is equal. Yeah. Right? But that's the beauty of it. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I love, you. I love you too. And this was just amazing to connect with you. And I think um, you just have so, every time I talk to you, I'm just like, oh, I got some Bob knowledge today. Um, it's not my knowledge. It's knowledge I learned from other people. Uh, yes, that's true, right? We've got to give it away. And so it is. I want to thank Fiore Designs for the beautiful flowers that they sent our way today. You can find them at the Erwan in Venice and Calabasas. 